Let's uh, open God's Word again this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. And we're going to look at verses 4 through 10 as our text this morning. But I want to start back at verse 1 where we were last week. Uh, We're going to just read as part of our reading this morning verses 1 through 3. And then come right on through verse 10. And verses 4 through 10 will be what we will preach from this morning. It's good to see each one of you here today. And I was just thinking about uh, this a moment ago while we were singing, is that what a, what a sweet place this is to come to, to be able to see my brothers and sisters in Christ and to be able to preach in a setting like this. I have, uh, in the past, I've pastored a couple of churches where it was not like this. And when I came into the pulpit, I could look at people that uh, were angry with me about one thing or another, who were upset about something. So if you're upset with me this morning, please don't tell me until after the service. But um, it is a, it's a sweet thing to be able to come together, to have God's people come together in peace and in unity and in harmony. We're all here for the same purpose, and that is to worship God, to open His Word, to see what uh, He has for us. And so what a wonderful uh, what a wonderful privilege it is to, to be a part of a fellowship like this. And, and uh, I just rejoice in that this morning. Well, let's start in verse 1. And we're in our series on biblical salvation. And today we want to talk about the sovereign grace of God. We've come to the place. Finally, we've worked our way through all of those sermons about the, sin, the sinfulness of sin and the darkness of sin, the uh, wrath of God against sin, all of that. And so now the stage is set for us to look at the sovereign grace of God in salvation. And so let's look at that uh, together this morning. But reading beginning in verse 1, it says, You He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. That's the state of any person prior to their salvation, what we've just read about. And if you hold your place here and just flip over a couple of pages to chapter 4, I want to just show you one verse of Scripture which I think really sort of summarizes and captures those three verses in almost in a single single word. But verse 18, speaking about those who are apart from Christ, verse 17 uh, talks about the rest of the Gentiles and how they walk and the futility of their minds. So that's just an an indication of those who are outside of Christ uh, as Paul's writing to them. And then he says this, having their understanding darkened. And this is the phrase, this next phrase is what has really caught my attention over the last couple of weeks as I've looked at this, being alienated from the life of God. What a description of a person who is apart from Christ, alienated from the life of God. That word alienated means to be estranged, to be excluded to be a non-participant, 
to be spiritually separated from God. And if you think about it, uh, Jesus gives life. He gives eternal life. Uh, Life is found in Christ. And so a, a person who is apart from Christ is alienated from the life of God. What a what a tremendous description of a person who's lost and apart from Christ. Now go back to chapter 2 and look in verses 4 through 10. And we want to see the, the sudden change that takes place in the passage. We've just talked about the fact that prior to salvation... We were walking according to the course of this world. We were uh, following Satan, the prince, the power of the air. We were disobedient. All of these things that are mentioned there in those first three verses. We conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. So all we could do is fulfill the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And it says we were by nature children of wrath. God's wrath was upon us, just as others, just as the rest of the world. But God, it says in verse 4. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls those two words the greatest words in Scripture. But God. But God. Anybody that's here this morning and you're saved, you've, you're a born-again child of God, those, are the two wor- that's the, those two words are the reason why <laughs> you're saved. Is But God. God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves... It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. mentioned Martin Lloyd-Jones just a moment ago. We think about biblical salvation in this series that we're in. I ran across a quote by him this week. I'd like to just, just read it to you. Here's what uh, he said in his own inimitable way. Uh, If you've you've never listened to Martin Lloyd-Jones, I recommend him to you. You can uh, dial him up on the internet. You can download sermons. You can listen to him while you're driving. But uh, probably most most evangelicals consider him the the greatest Bible preacher of the 20th century. So if you've not listened to him, you need to to listen because his his sermons were, were rich with doctrinal truth and with biblical salvation. But he said this about biblical salvation. He said, We find ourselves in this world, and we find it difficult to understand both the world and ourselves. We have within us a sense of God, and yet that is not enough in and of itself to bring us to a knowledge of God. And we came to the conclusion that if we really are to know anything truly about God, or ourselves, or the world, We must of necessity come to this book, and he's speaking of the Bible. We must come to this book, which we say is the Word of God, inspired of God, and and, uh, which is the infallible Word of God. And therefore we come and submit ourselves to this, realizing that there will be many things that we cannot understand, but that we are to come with our minds made receptive by the operation of the Holy Spirit upon us. What a powerful quote from 
for Martin Lord Jones. I want us to bow our heads and ask God uh, to do that for us this morning. Father, we ask for the operation of the Holy Spirit right now to give us receptive minds and receptive hearts to Your Word. Lord, it's true that there's many things that we don't understand, that we are yet to understand. And we know that the only way we will ever understand more and more about You is, is through Your Word and by Your Spirit. And so, Lord, in this time this morning, we, we dedicate this time to You. Lord, we're here to worship You. And this, this, very, this very setting that we're in right at this moment is an act of worship on our part. We preach the Word because You have told us to preach Your Word. We want to be obedient to it. And Lord, we, we desire to hear from You. We worship You by giving our full attention to Your Word now. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. We have to look to the Bible. We need to point others to the Bible. You know, one in your, in your witnessing as you're dealing with someone else, one of the greatest things you can do is just to, just to challenge them to begin reading the Bible. Uh, it says in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so I think it's very important for people to, uh, you know, ask somebody to read the, the Gospel of John, for example. And there are many people, probably hundreds of thousands of people, their testimony is that is as they began to read the Word of God, and some of them, many of them, as a matter of fact, began to read the Word of God with the idea that they were going to disprove it. They were saying, I'm going to read this so I can show those pesky Christians how wrong they are about everything. 2,000 years of history, they think they're going to undo Christianity themselves. But if you could just get a person to read the Bible, there's no telling what the Holy Spirit might do in their life. And so I, I recommend that as part of our evangelistic strategy. Certainly gospel tracts that contain the Word of God and certainly our own testimony, and our own witness to them is all important. Invite them to come to church and hear the Word of God. But as we hear the Word of God, one of the things that we find out as we read and study and learn more about the Word of God ourselves is that there are many people who have the wrong idea about salvation. They even have the wrong idea about the grace of God in salvation. A lot of people think the grace of God is like this, that God has done His part, He graciously did His part, and now the ball is in our court, and it's up to us to respond. Well, I guess there is a sense in which that is true. But here's what, it's, here's what it's really like. The grace of God is this, is yes, God did His part, but His part also includes the work of the Holy Spirit to bring us to life spiritually, to draw us all the way to saving faith. You hear me pray at the end of many sermons, I'll pray and say, Lord, draw people all the way to saving faith. Well, there's no, none of us can do that in the life of another person. None of us are able to Effect that. But God's grace means that not only did He provide the way through Christ, but He is the one who brings a lost soul, a dead soul, as we saw last week, someone who is dead on arrival. They've come into this world dead on arrival. God draws them to saving faith. That's part of the grace of God. And we need to understand that. And what this means is that salvation is all of God. 
He must act. Yes, once He has brought us to life spiritually, we must believe in Christ. We must express faith in Christ. But God has to do what He does or we would never do that. Spiritually, people can't do anything. Someone asked the question one time, what can a dead man do? (laughs) And the answer to that is not very much. And so what we see in our text today is this, the glory of God in salvation. God does sovereignly act to bring sinners to Himself. He did that for us. Those of us who are here in this room today who know Christ, that's what He's done for us. Now the question becomes, why did He do this? Why does He sovereignly act in the salvation of lost sinners? I want to give you two answers to that question this morning found in our text here in Ephesians 2. The first thing is this. God sovereignly acts to bring sinners to Himself because of who He is. Because of His nature. Because of who He is. Verses 4 through 6. Look at it with me again. It says, but God, those two great words again, who is rich in mercy. That word mercy is a word which speaks about the compassion of God. It speaks about His pity for those who are apart from Him. But ultimately what mercy means is that we don't get, listen, we don't get what we do deserve. If if we got what we deserve, if any person says, well, I, you know, I think I deserve better. No, if we all got what we deserved, we would be dead and in hell at this very moment. It's only by the grace of God and by the mercy of God that, that we don't get that. And folks, it's, it's part of the very character of God. We've been preaching lately a lot about the wrath of God, sort of on the, what we would consider the dark side of things. And so let's emphasize today those attributes of God that are so wonderful to us, that we love to hear about. And the very first thing on the list is here where it speaks about the mercy of God. I'd like you to turn with me to Psalm 103. Psalm 103. This is one of my favorite psalms in the Old Testament. We're not going to read all the verses here, but we are going to read a number of them because they're such great verses. Folks, our God is a God of mercy. Amen. We need to praise Him for that and rejoice in that today. It starts in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Years ago, a church that Linda and I were in, uh, the choir for many, many months, That was the song that they began the service with. That big old choir in this large church where we were, they would file in and the very first song they would sing was that one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. And look at verse 3. Who forgives all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness, and tender mercies. That word loving kindness is, when broken down, it's, it's the Old Testament word. If we, if we were going to put a, a New Testament 
uh, name on that word that, that for loving kindness, that would be the word grace. And, and grace is what causes the mercy of God to flow towards. It's by grace that God is merciful. And one way to think about it is that everything related to our salvation, once we come to understand that we are dead in trespasses and sins, and that we are lost and apart from God, and totally incapable, uh, totally, we have total inability to do anything to save ourselves, from that point forward, everything, once we understand that, everything about salvation is by the grace of God. Amen. Now, look down at verse 8. It says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Verse 10. Here's a great verse. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Oh, listen, we don't want what we deserve. Oh, we don't want God to deal with us according to uh, our own lack of righteousness. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. And if you look down just one more section down in verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness, to children's children, to such as keep His covenant, and to those who remember His commandments to do them. I want to tell you, the, the covenant that we're under, where we can take application for this for our lives, is the new covenant. And the new covenant is the covenant of grace and the mercy of God. I love that. I don't know who will preach my funeral, but I may just suggest, I may try to find him and suggest it. Psalm 103, be where he preaches from. But Psalm 103, but it's everywhere in God's Word. Uh, notice, uh, let's go back to Ephesians now and look uh, in, in verse 4 again. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, and, and Jeremiah talks about that, that great love. And, and here's what God says about His love. And, and it, it's speaking about His love for His people. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And with loving kindness, I have drawn you. That word loving kindness, again, just means the kindness, the favor, the goodness, and even the mercy of God that flows out from God. And the word grace is is where it flows from, from God's grace. God's character, His nature, one of the attributes of God is His great love. God is love. And then in verse 5 it says, Even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. There's a teaching in the New Testament that when Christ died, those of us who are God's people, they died with Him. And then when He was raised again, we were raised with Him. And so He has raised us up together with Him. We, uh, he's made us alive. We were dead in trespasses and sins, but God in His grace has made us alive together with Christ. I think of Romans 5, 8 here. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then He says at the end of that verse 5, He says, By grace 
you have been saved. He just comes right out and, and names it and mentions it. It's by grace that you've been saved. Anyone who is saved is saved by the grace of God, the sovereign grace of God. And then in verse 6, it says, He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You'll notice that all of this, if you look at this section of Scripture, you will notice that all of this is contingent upon being in Christ Jesus. It it was the, the sacrifice of Christ, His death, His resurrection, that makes this possible. The grace of God is what makes it all possible. And it's what makes us alive to God. We're spiritually alive and able to respond in the spiritual realm when we come to Christ. We have the life of God now. We can have fellowship with God now and with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's what I want to say at the end of this section. God God chose to save some But He didn't have to save anyone. Once we sinned, God was under no obligation to save a single person. Not a single person. Look at the angels. What did God, when the angels fell, they fell. There's no no opportunity for redemption with a fallen angel. God could have just said that about, you know, they're part of His creation just like we are. God could have said that about us. He could have just said, no, I'm not going to do anything. No grace for you. But it was part of His nature. It was part of who He was. Because of His great mercy and love and grace, He sovereignly chose to save some. Now I want you to flip back one page in here in Ephesians. Flip back just one page to chapter 1. And we're not going to deal with this now because uh, possibly even next Sunday, if not next Sunday, it'll be the following Sunday, we're going to come to this section of Scripture when we talk about election. But I want you to notice in verse 3 today, where it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing that we have flows from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You'll notice in verse 4, and this is what we'll talk to when we get to the part about election, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. And what I would say there is that man's sin, man's rebellion against God didn't surprise God. It was not like the plan of salvation was a, a plan B. God, God, God had the plan in place. Jesus, the Scripture says, was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so, what a wonderful understanding that is. God has sovereignly, in His grace, chosen to save some. Now, the second thing that I want us to see is that He does this for His own glory. Verses 7 through 10. He does this for His own glory. And He says here in verse 7 that God... In His sovereign grace saved some that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Oh, what a wonderful verse that is when it's understood correctly. For ages to come, God will 
have those that He has chosen to save. As, as it says here that He will show the exceeding rich of, riches of His grace through us. You know, I think when we get to heaven, this is just a thought I have about this, I don't think we'll ever get over being in heaven with our Savior. I, I know it's going to be just un, unbelievable to us when we first show up, but I don't think we'll ever get over it. Because we will understand for all eternity that it was only by the grace of God and His mercy and His love for us, sending His Son to die for our sins, to make it even possible for anyone to be saved, we'll understand that we don't deserve to be there. And we'll know that we're there for one reason only, and it's because of the grace of God. And then we come to those great verses. You really can't preach a series of messages on biblical salvation without coming to these verses. For it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. The word faith just simply means to trust. To, to rest your soul upon the work that God has done. Taking God at His word about salvation. And so you've been saved through faith, it says, and that not of yourselves. Now I used to read that phrase and I don't, it didn't make the impression on me that it does now. But what it's simply saying there is that none of that, the grace or the faith, but the faith is what has just been mentioned, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. God even has to give us the faith to express in salvation, to, to pray in salvation. It's the gift of God, it says. And I know all illustrations are sometimes, you know, it's, it, it doesn't hit the mark always, but I thought of this. You know, I, I, I know some of you can relate to this. Did you ever give your children money so they could buy you a Christmas present? <laughs> God gave us the faith. I, I remember the night when I first trusted Christ, when, when the burden of my sin had become so great and unbearable that I knew that I needed to be saved. I was nine years old at the time, but I felt the weight of sin upon my soul like never before. And God's Holy Spirit with the irresistible grace was moving me. I never remember, I mean, I'll never forget calling on Him, trusting in Him, to save me. And I didn't understand it at the time, but I understand it now from God's Word that the very faith, the very faith that I expressed in Him to be saved came from Him. He gave it to me. Philippians 1.29, listen to this. It says, For to you it has been granted. That word granted could just be translated. It's from the same root word. It could say, It has been graced to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. And here's what I want to get out of that verse. It's been grace to us to believe in Him. And in verse 9 it says, Not of works, it's the gift of God, so it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Titus 3.5 says, It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Now folks, in all the other religions of the world, works are part of salvation. 
Some do have an expression of faith, but they add works to it. It's an expression of faith in a God that's not a God of the Bible, but they, in all the religions of the world, works and, and, and doing right and being right with God involve works. And even in some of the Christian, so-called Christian denominations, there is this idea that, yes, you, you have to have faith, but there must be works that are added to that. And, and you know, in the Reformation, one of, one, of the key, one of the key issues in the Reformation was this very issue. Is what is salvation? Is it, is it, is it something where God, yes, we, we express faith in God, but yes, we have to also do works? The Catholic Church had come to the place, and the Catholic Church is still today, I must say. I must say it out loud. The Catholic Church today, this is the great dividing line between what we believe and what Catholics believe is that they believe that there must be works. But in the Reformation, Luther and others began to lead the church to understand that justification is by faith alone. Listen to James Montgomery Boyce, one of my favorite preachers. If... Uh, if Martin Lloyd-Jones was the greatest of the 20th century, James Montgomery Boyce might have been number two. But he, he said this, just listen to this. He said, when we come to understand that we are truly dead in our sin, we will see our state as hopeless apart from the supernatural and totally unmerited workings of the grace of God. That is what God requires. If we would be saved from our sin and come to Him, He will not, listen to this, He will not have us boasting even of the smallest human contribution in the matter of salvation. God will not stand for it. He will not allow it. If we try to add one scintilla of us to salvation, it nullifies the whole thing. And then in verse 10, again, just all of this for God's glory. He's saying all the glory is going to come to me in a, in a salvation of a soul. He says, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're His workmanship. If we're anything, if we are saved, if we're His people, it's because of Him and what He's done. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we're new creations in Christ Jesus and God gets all the glory. In the Reformation, they had what they called the five solas. Some of you know this. The five solas. In other words, there were some things they said, these things stand alone without any other thing interfering. First of all, we look to Scripture alone. And in the Scripture, we find out that salvation is by grace alone. We find out that salvation is through faith alone. And it's in Christ alone, and then it's for the glory of God alone. And so God has chosen to sovereignly save those who were lost sinners because of who He is and for His own glory. Now mankind apart from Christ bristles at this teaching. Uh, it offends man's sense of self-worth and pride. And, and, and man does not like to hear this idea that, it, that all of the glory goes to God. The, the, the world says there's got to be something that we contribute. But folks, this is biblical salvation. 
And I want to tell you this morning, there is no other salvation. Can you bear up under one more quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones? Listen, and I'll conclude with this. He says, we will try to bring in our own righteousness and our own deserts. In other words, what we deserve. And we keep on asking, is there nothing for me to do? We are so anxious to do something and to justify ourselves. No, no, says Paul. He's talking here about the writing of the Apostle Paul in this section of Scripture. It is all in Christ and all by the blood of His cross. He would never have come to earth. He would have never died if there were some other way. It is all in Christ. And again, you will find that he keeps on emphasizing that it is all of grace. Nothing less than the mighty power of God could have done it. Do we understand these matters to this extent? Martin Lloyd-Jones I mean, uh, Martin Lloyd -Jones asked this question. Do we understand these matters to this extent? That we see that not only has God done something, but that God had to do something. That our condition was such that nothing less than this could suffice for us. Let's bow our heads in just a moment of prayer. See, once we understand the true nature of our condition, our spiritual condition apart from Christ, once we understand it, from that point forward, if there is any salvation for anyone, it could only be by the grace of God. Now here's what I want to ask you this morning. Has there been a time where God did that saving work in your life? Has there been a time where you experienced the power of God in salvation? And I would almost want to say it like this. If you have, I really believe you would know it. If you went through some ritual of the church, you might not know it. If you signed up for church membership, you might not know it. If you tried to turn over a new leaf and say, I'm going to live better, I'm going to give up alcohol and cigarettes or some other vice, and I'm going to do better in the future, and you turned over a new leaf, that would leave you in doubt as to whether anything had really happened in your life. But if you've ever come to the place where you see yourself as a lost sinner, apart from God and hopeless, helpless, with total inability to do anything about it, and you've cried out to God, and you've experienced the forgiveness of your sins, you've experienced genuine saving work of God, I believe you would know it. I don't think you would have to wonder about it. And so I ask you today, has there been a time in your life where that is true of you? You know, we tend to go on in life. We get caught up in life and time goes by. And sometimes if we have doubts about things like this, we put it off to the future. We say, well, there'll be, a, there'll be another time. There'll be another occasion. Somewhere in the future, I'll settle this matter of whether I'm really saved or not. I want to tell you, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. The Bible says don't harden your heart today. Come to Christ. Come to Him today. Call upon Him to do that saving work that only He can do. 
I believe if you'll do that, God would be rich in mercy. You'd experience the grace of God in your life today. Father, I pray if there's anyone here, Lord, again, even one person who is apart from You in the way that we've so vividly seen in Your Word, Lord, I pray that even today they would experience the glory, the great glory of Your sovereign grace in their life. Lord, draw them. Do the work that only You can do. Draw them to saving faith today. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.